Welcome to the Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Each week, Canadian running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you the news, results, and drama from the exciting world of running. This is The Rundown. So this has happened to us a handful of times as soon as we get into the conference room slash studio to record. It's just like a full-on torrential downpour outside. It's hailing. And it is hailing. Kate told me that it can hail in the summer, which I didn't know until about three minutes ago. Right. Well, it kind of makes sense. Like, I don't think it can snow in the summer, but it can hail. And my hypothesis, I am not a meteorologist, but my hypothesis is that from my understanding, when you get like cold and hot fronts hitting each other, that's when you can sometimes get hail. And my thinking is that hail because it's larger and in ice form can probably survive the heat as it comes down whereas like snow wouldn't be able to form because it's like smaller flakes that are fluffier you know what i mean it's like does that logic kind of make sense yeah, to you i understand that because i'm pretty sure like when hail in the summer hits the ground it doesn't survive it's not like you're gonna get like icy conditions on the road no i hope not i have to drive home yeah no i think you'll be fine you think i'll be fine i've got my summer tires on kate <laughs> The, I wasn't prepared for this. It is 26 degrees out. Yeah. Um, hopefully you won't have icy August driving conditions in Southern Ontario. Here is hoping. <laughs> um, you've been continuing to run. Tell us about your progress. You know, a little, little two steps forward, one step back situation because I've been running and then my body started hurting. Mm. And so I took a couple days off running. But then according to my wonderful medical team, which answers all of my anxious emails Mm -hmm. that come, you know, every day. Uh, A little bit of pain is, sorry, let me rephrase that. A little bit of discomfort is normal when you're returning from an injury, especially a bone stress injury, because there's some scar tissue around there. Your muscles were all really tight before because they were protecting the bone. And they reminded me that there's a big difference between pain and discomfort. Mm. That's a very valuable lesson. Yeah. And I, they said, Are, is anything painful? And I said, no, I would describe it as a little bit achy. And they said, achy is fine. Pain is not. So, you know, we continue to walk run. Yep. It's exciting. <laughs> I think I'll be at like a full-fledged run by next week. Nice. Uh, but yes, slow and steady. <laughs> but like you said, you took like seven weeks completely off. And I think anyone who comes back into running after seven weeks, regardless of whether you've had a site of injury or not, you're going to feel off and you're going to feel a little achy probably in places you haven't in a while. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a good reminder. Like that difference between pain and discomfort is, is key. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. I'm glad to hear that you're continuing to, uh, to improve. Mm -hmm. Must feel really good. Feels really good. Running actually feels better than I thought it would. Your body knows. Yeah. You've done this before. Yeah. Like I feel like my legs are a member of my body. Nice. As opposed to like an alien's. Right. That's how you described it last week. Yeah. So they're they're back. They're acquainted with the rest of me. We're all getting along. Great. Glad to hear it. Love it when your legs get along with your body. Yeah. So track is back, baby. Oh my gosh. Is it ever? So anyone who did not tune into the first Diamond League event of 2020, 
we have a recap for you because it was one of the most exciting things I've watched on television in a very long time. It was a freaking event. It was an event. Yeah. And it was so well done. Mind you, didn't see any masks, saw a lot of like hugs at the finish line, didn't seem like maybe there are as many COVID following measures as there could have been. I feel like after, like, because everyone who had to be there had had COVID tests. Yeah, that's true. I feel like they were kind of, I saw like some mask wearing, but no one was covering their nose. Guys, if you're going to put the mask on, just cover your nose. If you're no, not- no, don't just cover your nose because I've seen that too. <laughs> no, cover the whole thing. <laughs> cover your whole the mouth whole, and nose. The whole shooting match. If you're not going to cover everything, don't bother wearing right. it. Right. <laughs> Well, you're not doing anything. Right. You might as well not wear it. Please wear it. Right. But if you were, in fact, going to leave, you know, the germ sprayer exposed, yeah. <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. Um, anyway, I saw some. I did see some right. of that. <clears throat> well, there were masks being worn in the stands for the most part. Again, not always correctly, but at least those who were seated together who presumably had not had to have a, a test coming in um, were supposed to be wearing, you know, protective equipment. Well, and hopefully those sitting together were, were bubble, were bubble buddies. Right. Right. Cause you know, you could have like five people sitting together, but they're a family or whatever. All of the things you have to think about in this new strange world in which we live. Anyway, on to the excitement and the results, because holy cow, there's a lot to talk about. Well, what do you want to start with? Let's, let's start from, from the top, from the top, (laughs) which is there's a freaking world record. Uh, Yeah. Um, 16 years in the making. 16 years in the making. And Kenanisa Bikaili tried to break that record of his. Like, it it was his mm-hmm. record. He tried to break his own record many a time and failed many a time. Right. It's a really bananas fast yeah. run. So for context, the old world record set in 2004 by Kenanisa Bikaili was 1237.35. Joshua Cheptegei of Uganda, 23-year-old speedster. Probably, well, he holds a couple of Uganda national records. He went in saying that this was something he was going to get after. Mm-hmm. Uh, ends up running 12.35.36, so almost exactly two seconds faster than the old record. And not only did he run the better part of the last 2K by himself, um, but he also didn't have like the typical crowd excitement and everything that you get in Monaco. He was just ready to run and took advantage of a really fast track to do it. Yeah. And the funniest part of the whole thing crosses the finish line, stops his Garmin. Okay. Very important to make sure that you have your, um, your pace and distance accurate when you run a 5k world record on the track. Also. Okay. So let's just like, cause if you're a road runner, you might be thinking like, yeah, so what here's the, so what, First of all, the GPS signal is not great in a stadium. That thing's pinging all over the place. It is not accurate. It probably told him he ran like 5.27 kilometers or, or you know, 4.84, whatever. Um, also, he's running with the most sophisticated timing system in the world. Um, he's getting splits every 200 meters. He has three human pacers. And on top of his three human pacers, he has a little dot lighting up next to him the entire time he runs around the track, letting him know if he's on world record pace or not. He could not have more stimuli letting him know exactly how fast he's running. And on top of that, he started his watch. So here are my thoughts about this. Yes, everything you just said is accurate, and it 
it is really funny. Like even the commentators on the live stream kind of laughed as like everyone was just so excited. And they're like, and he stopped his watch at the finish line. Like, you know, you hear these stories. Well, it was about, hard to miss. Like yeah. it's right on his face. Well, and, and there's no one else with yeah, him. He's yeah. running by himself. So anyway, um, I have a couple thoughts about this though. One is it's just, it's probably just a force of habit. So if he had any thought, you know, who, who knows how he was instructed, whether it be like a coach or an agent or someone saying, if you're used to starting your watch every time you step on the track for practice, and that is part of your comfort zone, we know that, you know, runners can be a little superstitious. They can be very routine oriented. So if that's something that would provide you some comfort starting your watch, I, I get that to a degree. I have not in diamond leagues, but I have started my Timex watch in races before in case for whatever reason, the timing system doesn't work. It's just, you know, kind of this backup in your mind that especially if he knew he was going to be running part of this alone, he might have just wanted to have that as like an additional source of like something to turn to, to make sure he was on pace. I get that. And Okay, one thing about the timer not working, I've never had a race where I finish and they go, we didn't get that. That no. happens extremely no, occasionally. No, but I mean, like, you know how in, at these meets, they have a, an official timing clock set up every 100 meters to give you your time. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if one of those doesn't necessarily start correctly. Okay, so, but... To give you that feedback during your race. So that's what I was going to say. At my last race of the summer in 2018 i'm in europe it's i'm at houston you know big meet big meet big Very deal professional. Meet, super profesh i'm in you know uh one of the fast sections of the 800 that i had to like beg borrow and steal my way yeah. into and we're coming through 600 and the clock says 127 oh. and this is two years ago and i'm okay, like for the record folks that would put maddie on like what a 156 pace for the 800 yeah ball 157 150 well, two minutes but that would yeah. have been a cool five second pb at the time anyway so i'm coming through 600 and i'm feeling pretty damn good and i'm seeing 127 on the clock and i'm like mother bleeper yeah <laughs> i'm about to run I'm about out of to my break mind too i'm about to you know become one of the fastest canadian women ever you know, turns out I ended up running 204 because I think we came through at about 132, 133. Ah. That was not accurate. Right. Um, so actually, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit with Chapped a Guy. I'm kind of changing my tune because if I had seen 133, I would have been like, giddy up, girl. Right. You're running real slow. Yeah. But I saw 127 and I thought that took I was... Took the gas off. Yeah. Took the foot off the totally gas Totally took yeah. my foot off the gas. I was actually like, you should slow down. You're about to die. Right. And that, I mean, think about how important that feedback is. That's what we base everything on in the race. Now, again, an 800 is a little different from a 5,000. You don't have quite the same amount of like time or like ability to t- like step away from the form to look at your watch necessarily. But I can understand why, especially if you're going after a world record, why not start it? The stopping it is the funny part, <laughs> especially because... Because it was a GPS watch. And again, it's probably just the watch he uses to train, mm-hmm. right? Like he's not looking to get like hundreds of a second specificity in his training. He's not a sprinter. He probably uses the same watch that he uses every day. I do that. I tie my track workouts with a Garmin because even when I'm doing 200s, I don't care what, you know, to the 10th, how fast it was. So I, I think probably he was just so used to doing that, that when he crossed, and we see this with like Olympic champions in the marathon, they'll stop their watch as they cross the finish line too. I think mm-hmm. it's just literally, it's just a force 
habit. habit. Yeah, yeah, it's just habit. But it's it's so funny when you think about all those factors of like, yeah. really? You needed to stop the watch? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I hope he never erases that time from his watch. I hope that he retires the watch with that time on it. That would be a nice way to send that just leave, off. Just leave it on the screen. Yeah. I'm sure he won't have a hard time getting a new watch if he wanted one. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much to Joshua Cheptegei for getting us just like super psyched about this season. We knew we were going to see exciting things. Again, the times don't qualify you for anything this summer, but world records do count. And it was awesome to see this one go down. Um, We had a couple of Canadians compete and do really well. Marco Arop, a little tiny PB, a little baby PB by 11 tenths of a second. This guy's on fire. And oh my gosh, his stride. Isn't it beautiful? Can I for a minute? Oh, I know. It's just a gorgeous stride. He is like I think ninety nine percent legs. His body, yeah, and uh, yeah. It's it's and sometimes when people are really leggy, their stride can look a little messy. Yep. As someone who was guilty of that myself for a long time, um, but no, he looks he looks amazing. Anyway, he ran really confidently. He ran really smoothly. He in his season opener ran a personal best, which is enormous. Mm-hmm. And he's so young. He is so young, and his. I think for a couple of years there, before he really solidified himself at the top, you could see the inexperience in the way that he ran. He's always been a mature runner for his age and and like level of experience, but there's only so much that you can fake. Right? That was his like second Diamond League ever. Yeah, exactly. And the composure was incredible. In fact, I would say that both he and Matt Hughes, who is our other Canadian who raced, really ran strong and gutsy. And Marco has not finished his Diamond League exposure for this year because he's going to be racing in Stockholm on Sunday Setting in the second Sweden. Diamond League. Sweden. And Sage Watson will be there as well. That's right. Who just announced her lipstick deal. Yeah. Sage Watson is getting into makeup. Oh my. Yeah. Tell me more. That's all I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Story done. She's going to have a lipstick line. Cool. Because of her signature red lipstick that she wears Course. all the time when she races. Mm-hmm. Never, Neat. Never been a red lip gal myself. It's hard to pull off the Washes right red Washes me lip. out a, a, a little yeah. of it. Well, maybe you can get some advice from Sage around your coloring. She is a fellow pale girl. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I wonder if she's going to be naming her shades after like track things. It'd be kind of cute. It'd be super cute. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. That's fun. Anyway, Matt Hughes, uh, like I said, was our other Canadian who competed in Monaco. Matt is a training partner of mine, and I know that he was not only super excited, but also so ready to get after breaking his own Canadian record. We talked about this last week in the preview for Monaco, and all indicators suggested that Matt was ready to eclipse his uh, Canadian record of 8.11. The race just wasn't there for him. It was really disappointing to see. There was a pacer. I mean, all these races are just set up to go so fast. They talk with the field ahead of time. They set up a rabbit for them and no one went with the rabbit. The rabbit, I think, had a 25 meter lead at certain points. It was just, and I mean, you can't really pin that on anyone because none of them did it, but Matt ended up spending a lot of time at the front trying to push the pace and get things moving, knowing that he doesn't necessarily have the closing speed of some of these guys that run sub eight Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately just got swallowed up in the last, you know, 150 meters. But I think he made that race. With 300 to go, he was there. He looked great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just ended up running 8.16, still an incredibly fast time. It's about, it was just over four seconds difference. Yeah. So really, in terms of like the way that the race went out, I thought he ran incredibly well. 
Um, we'll be seeing more results from both of these Canadians. And then, like you said, Sage as well, moving forward to Stockholm and over the next few weeks. Stay tuned. In other Monaco news, Noah Lyles ran a blazing 1976 200 meter after raising his fist in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement ahead of his race. Uh, you know, really powerful thing to do. I don't believe he can be sanctioned for that because no. it is not an Olympic event. No, it's not an Olympic. It's not a Team USA event, right? So the the Rule 50 stuff applies to um, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, but the USOC also has their own rules around any national team event, which is why we saw the likes of Gwen Berry, hammer thrower for the US at the 2019 Pan Am Games, getting sanctioned for raising her fist on the podium, even though that's not an Olympic event, it was still a national team event. Um, as far as I understand, USATF has no jurisdiction over their athletes when it pertains to things like this, unless it's at a national team event. Um, kudos to, to Noah. I, I personally throw my support behind him. I think we talked about this, that it would take someone with the notoriety like he has to kind of take that stance and really be demonstrative and be one of the first ones to do it. And he also, I don't know if you noticed this, he was wearing one of the gloves that mimicked what Tommy Smith and John Carlos wore at the 68 Olympics on their podium. Yeah. Well, he's one of the biggest names in running right now. Exactly. Like if USATF ever took issue with him and left them off their team, like that would be huge. Right. And again, um, we'll link it in the show notes, but I do recommend if you are interested in learning more about this, folks go back and listen to the Sidious Mag podcast with Gwen Berry from a couple of months ago, where she talks about this exact issue of, um, you know, had it been someone like a Noah Lyles, it probably would have been treated differently, but because in her mind, she was a hammer thrower and it's not as a highly televised or publicized event. Um, they, they could sort of be a little stricter in their sanctions. But Almost make an example of her. Exactly. Yes. Kudos to Noah. Crazy fast time. Great act of solidarity. There were just so many great performances. Faith Kipiegon ran the second fastest time ever in the 1000 meter. That was a crazy fast race. Uh, she ran 229.15. Sub 230 for a kilometer. <laughs> it doesn't seem humanly possible. No. The world record's 228 mid, I think. So she wasn't far off it, but man, that track is fast. It's a burner of an event too. Like I love the, like the commentators were like, it's a weird event, but it's really hard. Like it's just not run that often. And then you really see like some 800 meter runners, like Raven Rogers did not shine, you know, won a world championship medalist, but that extra 200 meters makes a difference. I honestly think that from what I've seen and from my understanding of energy systems, knowing that it would vary a little bit person to person to person. I think that a world champion 1500 meter runner is almost always going to fare better at the thousand than a world championship 800 runner. If it's like a pure 15 and a pure eight, because that extra 200 does make such a difference. I think if you have good enough leg speed as a 1500 meter runner, your strength is going to carry you through that distance better than a pure eight. Well, I think that's why I run a good K because I kind of train yeah. like a 15 because like Lucia Stafford's my training partner right. who's a 1500 runner. I kind of train like a 1500 runner until like six weeks before nationals. Right. And then it's like, okay, time to get super fast. Yeah. But it really, uh, no, I think if you're a pure eight runner, it's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. I see that with lots of my competitors who like can't hang for a thousand but are killer over the eight. But those are the girls who are good at the six. Right. But this is what you see. If you see a really fast really high caliber 800, 
And those women are almost always like pure 800 meter runners. They could not have run another step when they crossed the line. Mm-mm. Mind you, I know that you're running a smidge slower through eight and a thousand, but not that much slower. It's not that much slower. Would they split? 159? 159. Yeah. So think about if you're a 158 gal and you're going through in 159 and being asked to hold on for 200 more meters, that's that's a tall order. <laughs> it's a super tall order. <laughs> Well, someday when you run sub 230 in the thousand, you can tell us what it's like, Maddie. You know what, Kate? I don't think that day will ever come. I, if I could hit 233, would be beaming. All right. Let's aim for that. That sounds pretty good, too. There was also, um, it sort of had its spotlight stolen because of how big Monaco was. But over the weekend, there was also the Music City Distance Carnival in Tennessee. Just a hoot and a holler of a meet. Yeah, you've really talked highly about that one. Yeah, it's a great time. So Team Boss was there with Corey McGee just outrunning Emma Coburn in the 1500. They both set personal bests of 403. And then there was a 16-year-old kid who ran a 401 mile. It's pretty cooking. That's outrageous. Mm-hmm. In other news, shoe news. Uh, Sandre Moen of Norway broke the European one-hour track record in a pair of next percents, which normally would have been fine up until about three weeks ago when World Athletics came out with new rules regarding shoes. So the rules came out on July 28th and they said that track shoes cannot be a higher stack height than 25 millimeters. Now, and what are the rules on the road, Maddie? 40. Right. So a huge discrepancy. Huge difference. So here's the thing. Track shoes aren't limited to spikes. They're any shoe you wear to compete on the track. And I think that's the important distinction because when we say track shoes, it makes you think about shoes that you specifically wear in track races. But what you said is actually more accurate. It's any pair of footwear that you wear on a track surface is what this applies to. I honestly read it as spikes. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, spikes. I was like, this isn't a problem. So basically you can't take a pair of alpha flies and put a spike plate on them. You can't even take a pair of alpha flies, period. But but according to like your thinking of the rules is that Mm -hmm. it was a pair of spikes, but it's not. It's any shoes you wear on a track surface. He ran in an unaltered pair of next percents, which would have been completely legal on the road. However, he ran on the track. So he broke Joss Herman's record, which had stood for over 40 years, but it wasn't until after the race that he realized that he had broken the new World Athletics rules and his time would not count. What a total bummer. Oh, total bummer. But yeah, he ran so fast. So, yeah, for context. So he ran in, in one hour. He ran just over 21 K. I mean, amazing. Anyone who can run a half marathon in just over an hour is amazing. He went through the 20,000 meter mark or the 20K mark in uh, 56.53, which would have also been a national record. But as you mentioned, none of it counted because of these new World Athletics rules that had quite kind of been announced quietly, to be honest. It had been announced quietly only nine days earlier. I mean, I think they're good rules. I do too. Because as we've seen with... so. You know, Cheptegei was wearing new Nike spikes. They're called the Nike Dragonfly. Yep. And they have ZoomX foam. And is it the spikes doing the running? No. We've said that over and over again. It's not the spikes doing mm-hmm. the running. But do the spikes help? Of course. Of course. And do I think that they could make a springy, springy springboard that would work on the track and it would both save your legs and help you run faster? 
Totally. Well, and we know that that becomes more true the longer the distance of the race. Mm -hmm. So a one hour race, basically running a half marathon makes sense. And in fact, this isn't the first time that runners on the track have been caught with this new rule. No, this happened at a few Japanese races, particularly we're looking at events 10,000 meters and up really. I mean, that's the only time that you would wear a shoe like that. Otherwise you're going too fast. As I've said before, the high stack height when you're rounding a corner really quickly doesn't feel good. You feel unstable. It also, because I've done this, I've actually worn my next percents and my four percents a couple times on the track just to save my legs when it's not like a super hard speed session. They're slippery. They're slippery. Your hamstrings kind of have to grab yeah. more. I don't like wearing them on the track. No. But obviously it worked for him. It was probably a really dry day. He ran quickly, but unfortunately he's going to have to try it again in different shoes. In other news, we it was announced last Wednesday that OFSA will be canceling all of their fall sports competitions, which of course will include cross country. Again, we sort of saw this coming. Um, I think other provinces are making decisions similarly and will be either following suit or have already done this. Um, but it's interesting because Athletics Ontario has announced that they will be expanding their competitive season for cross country to basically any participants in the province who would like to compete. And they're coming up with some really creative ways to adhere to social distancing rules. So they will be starting people in waves, much like at a road race. And the size of those waves will just depend on the size of start line they have. And they've also reduced their membership fee. So recreational runner members of Athletics Ontario, it's a specific designation of registration that was cheaper because you couldn't race with that membership. However, now they've changed that. So recreational registrants are able to race. The recreational membership for U20 is only $5. That's great. For the whole year. And for people over the age of 12, i.e. their parents and older siblings, it's 20 bucks. Yeah, totally affordable. Which is pretty affordable. Yeah. And they will be hosting at least eight cross-country races this fall, if not more. And so if you're just looking for a competitive in-person outlet, even if you've never raced cross-country before, you know what? It's muddy. It's hard. It's, it's fun. cold. It's really fun. It's really <laughs> gritty. If yeah. you actually, if you kind of wanted like an intro to trail. Yeah. If, if like Hit track and trail had a baby, it'd yep. be cross-country. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. And it is, in my mind, the purest form of running because it's literally oh, it's just – over hills and through, over hill, over hill and dale, <laughs> through, through the streams, around the grass, and, and Bob's your uncle. It's a good time. Yeah. Okay, speaking of other sort of insane races. <laughs> Run Cape to Cabot virtually, folks. Or find a way to get out to St. John's and uh, do it in person, because here's the great thing about this event. It is a 20K course. It is one of the most challenging road races in North America. It runs from Cape Spear, which is the most easterly point of North America, absolutely beautiful, to Cabot Tower in St. John's. And the, uh, the the terrain and the hills are just, you know, massive throughout this race. So the times are never super speedy until you take into consideration how challenging it is. So the organizers have said that what they're going to do this year is obviously offer it virtually for those who can't get out to Newfoundland. But if you can get out you can run on the actual course anytime on your own until uh, October 31st and have it count. And you can upload your data and submit that. I wonder if they're going to have like multiple results entries, those who ran on the actual course and those who didn't. 
I feel like they have to, if they're offering it virtually, I feel like they have to make it all one. Yeah. They did say, <laughs> the race organizers did say, if you can't make it out to the actual course, find the most challenging 20K loop that you know of and do it on that because it probably still won't compare. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the thing. Yeah. You're doing 20K on the road versus this. It's two different games yeah, you're playing. Exactly. Anyway, super fun. Again, I'm just so amazed at uh, the way that race organizers are getting creative, keeping people engaged and making their events as accessible, fun and uh, motivating as possible. All right, I have a story. Maddie just adjusted the microphone and sat up. You know this is going to be good. It's like I do stand-up comedy. I'm playing with the Does microphone. Does um, Can I walk around? So... I got a text last night from one of my dear friends and she said, you're going to get me a boyfriend and with a screenshot. And I thought this is funny. Um, so I look at the screenshot and she's been texting a guy on a dating app and he said to her as like, as like his introduction, it's cool that you're friends with a national champion runner. And at this point, she's a little wigged out because she's like, how do you know that? <laughs> so they've only ever, the only way they know each other is communicating online on a dating app. On a dating app. Okay. And they've like hardly communicated. Right. And in her profile, I'm featured once in a very blurry Polaroid picture. Okay. Um. So he has, I guess, identified me from this picture. And she says, you know, yeah, she's my best friend, but how did you know this? And he goes... I am a fan of sports. Actually, I listen to the ShakeOut podcast every week. <laughs> Who knew that this would be your route to fame? Yeah. So, like, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for bringing me up when you're courting people. I'm always, you know, looking to help people make connections. You know, I've, I've actually been known as bad at setting people up. Um, You've just turned it all around. But maybe I've just turned it all around. Yeah. So if there are any love connections being formed in part thanks to the ShakeOut podcast, you're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> we do what we can, folks. We try to keep the people happy. Mm -hmm. That's a great story, Maddie. That's a great way to yeah, end. Yeah. If you're listening, sir. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> and uh, thanks for tuning in. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in again this week. We hope that you're all having a fabulous summer. Again, I say this every week, but I can't believe that it's almost the end of August. So we already mentioned it, but the Stockholm Diamond League will be taking place on Sunday. It will be Sunday morning, Toronto time, Maddie? 10 a.m. Eastern time? Eastern time. 10 a.m. Eastern time. Sunday morning, free on CBC. Thank you, CBC. Yeah, that is great. And the coverage was really fantastic, super, I will say. Super, super good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tune we in for that. Yeah. You know, even if you're not like a track person, give it a try. Why Might not? Be the only racing you watch for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super fun. Like we said, we have at least two Canadians competing of that we know of right now. Marco Arop in the 800 and Sage Watson in the 400 meter hurdles sporting her signature lipstick. We're sure. Stay tuned for more info on how you can buy one of Sage Watson's new lipstick varietals. Check back with Canadian Running Magazine at runningmagazine.ca to follow up on all of our story details for the Your Week in Review. I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. We'll talk with you again next week. Bye.